Uh, good afternoon from sunny and cold Boston, Massachusetts, and the ASAP Scientific Assembly 2015. This is uh, Pob's cast. Uh, my name is Matt Wheatley. I'm uh, ED and observation medicine from Emory and uh, Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta. With me today, as always, is uh, Dr. Anwar Osborne, hey also from Emory. Uh, we are pleased today to be joined by Dr. Christopher Bao who is a medical director of the ED at Brigham and Women's Hospital here in Boston, as well as the uh, observation unit, or rather I should say units uh, at Brigham. He is also the uh, chair of the observation medicine section. We had our section meeting earlier today, and uh, the topic of this podcast is just gonna be update of stuff talked about at the section meeting and then other things we're seeing at Scientific Assembly here. So Yeah, you know, this is actually uh, Dr. Bob's hometown. I'm a little disappointed we didn't get a home-cooked meal or some <laughs> hot plate situation at the at the meeting, but that's okay next time. There, there isn't a whole lot of room at my kitchen table uh, <laughs> these days at home, uh, but thank you both for, uh, for asking me to join you on the podcast today. I'm happy to uh, to recap our meeting from this morning that I think went really well and uh, share uh, the, the discussion with all of the people who couldn't make it to the meeting. I think we had some really valuable insights shared among the group. I think, um, you know, you had at the end uh, time designated for discussion, but there was a lot of discussion the whole time. Yeah. In uh, like, I really like how the, you had, uh, we had a, a pretty robust discussion about these uh, new policy changes. Can you share like what they were and maybe some of the highlights of what you thought the discussion was? Sure. We had a couple of, of experts in the room and, and uh, it was great to be able to share uh, their knowledge, and specifically folks like Mike Gronowski. And we had Matt Wheatley uh, present uh, information that he's put together between the two of you as well as with Mike Ross. Um, so these are really the folks who understand the policy uh, changes that we're seeing in the United States. Uh, we're the best minds in the country around this, so it was really great to have them all in one room. And we specifically talked about the, the uh, proposed rule from uh, CMS and Medicare that is in the, currently in the comment period uh, that should be finalized very shortly, and I don't think anyone's expecting a lot of changes in the final, comp in the final version of what comes out. And the, the biggest change that we discussed was a new bundled uh, facility payment in terms of an APC that's a higher amount than what the current APC is, is paying, but it, it also bundles in the diagnostics that were a la carte previously and then has a lot of implications for facilities and for patients in terms of reimbursement and out-of-pocket costs. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it may not seem like a huge change, but in reality, a lot of the things that we describe as, you know, that the patient's going to be responsible for their out-of-pocket costs. Like that one, one of the big out-of-pocket costs that's not included in this uh, APC move that we're talking about is uh, the uh, self-administered medications. Right, and uh, that actually did generate a little bit of discussion um, because uh, actually, Chris, you brought up that your institution kind of uh, had a unique solution. Well, I guess we'll have you describe that in a second, but we, we did discuss the need for each individual institution maybe to, to come to the table, whether it was with pharmacy or C-suite, and say, you know, this is an issue and we need, we need to sort this out. But what did you guys do regarding those uh, at your shop? Sure. We addressed this about a year and a half or two years ago, and this is the time that I was really being critical of observation policy and the way it affects patient out-of-pocket costs. And I have a piece in the New England Journal of Medicine that articulates that a bit if you want to look into that in the perspective section 
that I wrote with Jay Shore, one of my colleagues at the Brigham. And one of the policy changes that I proposed was uh, was out-of-pocket payments for self-administered medications, essentially the patient's home medications, which is currently not a covered benefit for Medicare patients. And I, I just think there are many reasons why that's not appropriate. Um, I just think it's practical to expect patients to be able to take in their home medications when they are typically having an unanticipated emergency department visit that starts off their observation stay, and then it puts the onus on the hospital and the providers to do lots of logistical things to make sure the patients are getting the medications they brought in safely, such as verifying the medication, storing them, giving it, it, the medications to the patients, recording them, et cetera. So, you know, I recognize this problem. There, I brought this to leadership in my hospital, including the chief medical officer and leadership from pharmacy, to really try and paint the picture around how this is a problem. And once I had them bought in that this is an issue that, that is a problem and it puts patients at unreasonable risk, uh, then we started talking solutions. And then when we looked long and hard at the logistics that I just mentioned, we decided that the best solution was actually uh, to not balance bill the patients for any medication charges that were not paid for by the payer on the first pass of the bill. Uh, and, and I think that's worked out really well for us thus far. Uh, what, what's nice is that I can tell my bedside clinicians that when they're talking about observation with their patients and the patients are getting very worried about out-of-pocket costs, they can say to them with all confidence, look them in the eye and say, you're not going to get charged for your home medications that we give to you in observation. And that gives them a huge measure of relief and confidence that they can move forward with the observation visit. The thing is, is there's, a, 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 like how you mentioned, a lot of logistic difficulty in allowing the patients to just take their home medications, as simple as it might sound. And on the other, on the other side of that, there are, again, what most would consider are unreasonable costs that the right. hospital would charge to give you, like, say, a simvastatin right. or something like that, something that you would routinely take. Yeah. Mike uh, Gronowski had pointed that out, that right. usually, you know, it's kind of like going and getting a bottle of wine at a restaurant, you know, a $10 bottle of wine in the supermarket is going to cost you 30 bucks at the restaurant. Similarly, right. you know, a medication that costs you uh, $30 for a month's supply over the counter is going right. to cost you maybe 70 bucks a pill just because there's, you know, different kind of markups and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I think the solution that you outlined is definitely something uh, we can take forward, you know, to our own kind of pharmacy and administration. But I think right. until something is done on a policy level, uh, we're going to have to find individual solutions for it just so patients aren't stuck with those costs. We did, we did though, um, mention that, e- you know, even when you take into account self-administered meds, when they've looked at it, you know, it doesn't add that much to the, to the patient's cost. So, you know, it is a, it is a, a give and take a little bit. So. And I think you're probably referring to the uh, OIG report from a couple of years ago that was the, really the first report to take a deep dive nationally at out-of-pocket costs for observation services. They looked at Medicare beneficiaries. And they, uh, and they really did quantify the out-of-pocket costs for home, for home medications or self-administered medications. And uh, the exact number, I, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but it was in the $150 per visit range, um, which I think is more than people would like to see, but probably not as much as people expected if you were to ask someone who hadn't looked at those numbers before. Right. Right. So what do you think uh, we got out of the Notice Act discussion from the, uh, from the meeting? Sure. I, I think uh, clear that we need to be communicating to our patients that they are in observation status and there are certain uh, financial consequences that may result from that. And I think 
it has the potential to stir up uh, a conversation with a lot of difficult questions uh, for patients and providers who don't really understand, especially the out-of-pocket consequences of inpatient care, which are not typically cost-free. For example, Medicare Part A inpatient deductible is in the $1,200 to $1,300 range. Um, so unless you were recently admitted as an inpatient, and that deductible will be waived in that case, um, inpatient admission is going to cost you quite a bit and, and more than the typical observation stay. Um, but I think the idea of, of having more transparency with patients uh, and, and this this legislation really just forces that within 24 hours, having written communication and, and a sign-off from the patient. Um, I, I think it's a helpful thing. Uh, I, certain states have gone even further around specific language, and there was a, a gentleman in the audience today from New York who, who had uh, you know, specific experience with New York legislation around the way that they inform patients. And this ended up being something that we took back to this toolkit that we're developing with Mike Totoro um, that ASEP's going to be putting up this winter. Uh, and it's a good example of, of, uh, of a tool that we will be posting online that, that other people can, can borrow. And if you're not in that same state, you can at least use it as a conversation, conversation starter with your own case management and compliance folks who are typically the ones who are going to be signing off on the final version of however you're notifying your patients. So tell us more about this toolkit. Where, where is it going to live? Uh, how, do, how is uh, the listener to this podcast going to be able to access it? Sure. So this is, this is a result of a few years of work. Uh, we've had a couple groups working on this over the past couple of years, and really under the leadership of Mike Turturro, um, we've been able to get it to the point where we have amassed uh, a variety of, of documents that we think will be very helpful to folks, especially those uh, starting a new observation unit and are looking for not only protocols to use, but also a lot of other um, resources that would be very helpful, such as uh, a policy manual example, um, a, a dashboard example, uh, some suggested language that providers use when discussing an observation disposition with their patients. So th these are a variety of documents that are going to live online. Uh, I believe it's going to be hosted on the ASAP website, and the board of directors are, I think, are have recently approved or are in the process of approving all the content. And we envision it really being a, a living website that will continue to get better over time. And we, you know, want to hear from users in terms of, you know, are we missing a resource that needs to be. Uh, developed or available, and, and I'm, I'm sure if we are, that there's someone in our section who has a good example of one that they can share with the group via yeah. this toolkit. Right. So probably not additional costs other than membership. Right. It'll be free for section members. Right. So I think that's a good thing because I think um, a lot of segments of the OBS world is uh, trying to focus in on something, some way to monetize a lot of the knowledge that, you know, I'm sure the three of us as ops directors have been given away for free, right? And uh, and I and I want to give it away for free. Uh, I do think having a standard toolkit is going to be a step in the right direction. Uh, if you're not an, a member of ASAP, like you should be, so I mean I, I think this is a great idea that it's to be a bundled benefit. Yeah, and I think with ASAP or SAEM membership, you get a you get one section or one interest group with your membership, and so. Uh, you know, if, if you have a section to join, you know, obviously a, here's a plug to join the ASAP OBS section. If for no other reason, then it connects you with other people who are kind of going through this shared experience of 
developing uh, and running an observation unit. We spent some time at the end of the meeting talking about some research highlights. Uh, Matt, who was it that went over those? That was uh, Chris Caps Caspers from NYU. Uh, so big thanks to him for putting this together. It was actually a phenomenal review of some articles in observation medicine. I think for the sake of time, he wasn't able to go through in depth all the articles he mm -hmm. found, but he actually highlighted a bunch of articles that uh, that I, I was unaware of. So we looked at, uh, he, he talked a little bit initially about the consensus white paper that uh, Frank Peacock kind of helmed uh, that was out uh, last year uh, through the Society of Cardiovascular Patient Care. Uh, he looked at one article that looked at the use of observation units for toxicology patients and then also an article for observation units for cancer patients. and. Uh, the interesting thing is both of these are kind of niche uh, uses for an observation unit. Uh, and there's a couple, couple points that I, I took out of that. Um, one, you really need to know kind of your local population uh, and, and what your local needs of your hospital are. You know, if you have uh, obviously people who are in tertiary care settings and have a lot of cancer patients, you can work with your oncology teams uh, and create and create a unit or create protocols to deal with these folks. Um, similarly, if you have a lot of patients with overdoses, whether intentional or non-intentional, you know you can look at creating a uh, protocol for that. We did discuss a little bit about you know suicidal patients or patients that are at risk for self-harm, whether they're you know intoxicated or whatnot. Um, you know, so obviously that's an individual. Uh, unit, if, if your unit's got the resources to, to have sitters with those patients or you have psych consultants, um, uh, that was, I don't know, it was an interesting part of the discussion, I thought. I thought it was interesting how we, we kind of, we, we did talk a little bit about chest pain in terms of some new initiatives that that uh, ASAP is, is focusing on in terms of it being really the roots of, of observation units as they are today as being probably the most compelling case for observation care, but then it was nice to kind of take it full circle to really forward-looking and innovative conditions to be thinking about where observation units could go in the future. And so cancer care was probably a good example of that. We also talked about geriatrics a bit. Yeah. Mark Rosenberg was there. Yep. So it was nice to have some experts in the room to talk about some potential new uh, directions to take observation care. And I know a lot of people are being asked to manage observation units and own an increasingly diverse and large population of observation patients. So and more complex. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's moving past this kind of very simple chest pain unit. It's you know now it's almost a uh, you know almost like an inpatient unit, but you're doing stuff more quickly. Yeah, and and you know really if you went to any of these other lectures here, people think. Uh, the standard care that happens in the observation unit, like stress testing for the low risk people, that that is on the chopping block. You know, like that's not quite as in vogue as it used to be uh, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, uh, with new troponins and uh, all this new ultra low risk criteria. So, uh, having to innovate is going to be something that uh, most OBS unit directors are going to have to be thinking very seriously about. I think in the future. And then we ended with a couple articles uh, dealing with kind of health economic stuff. Um, one was an article from Health Affairs that's titled Revisiting the Economic Efficiencies of Observation Units. Um, it, you know, and one point we brought out of this was that the author, when they were looking at these OBS uh, cases, you know, and, and looking at the cost savings 
wasn't necessarily delineating if these were OBS visits that were in a type 1 unit or a, or a dedicated ED or inpatient unit with protocol-driven care or whether these were, you know, these were cases managed throughout the hospital. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very difficult when you're reading through some of these to pull that out. And we, we did mention that, you know, nationally there's no marker for that uh, when, you're, when you're looking at uh, admissions or, or outpatient visits as to, as to where the patients are managed. We talked a bit about how you might address that, um, both for research or policy uh, reasons, and, and one potential is to attach a site of care code to the, the billing uh, piece so that you could use administrative data sets to look at disparities between diagnoses or length of stay or conversion to inpatient rate based on whether observation care was delivered in a dedicated inpatient unit or elsewhere. And I think it's an interesting topic to discuss. It has a host of potential unintended consequences. If you start uh, getting into that kind of disparate uh, observation management and implications around payers, perhaps incentivizing care, and uh, it leads to a much longer discussion. But I think it's really interesting to pursue, especially when I put my health services researcher hat on. I'd love to get my hands on some national data that really distinguished observation unit right. care versus all observation right. care. Yeah, that would, that, that would be nice to have. Uh, so to recap, uh, we spent uh, a lot of time today talking about uh, policy, the uh, CMS rule. That's something to, to keep on your radar in the future. Uh, and uh, as part of that, this uh, move to the, a more inclusive APC is probably going to spur on some sort of discussion about what to do with self-administered home medications for patients in OBS units. Uh, and uh, we talked about uh, the ASAP OBS toolkit, how awesome that's going to be coming soon, right? And uh, then we wrapped it up with uh, some kind of innovative papers um, about, uh, about OBS in the setting of uh, cancer and uh, toxicology. So, like, I thought it was a really good meeting. Uh, and, and like all meetings, uh, it's really good when you uh, run out of time. It's, yeah. a, it's a good problem. Yeah, we could have used another hour pretty easily there. <laughs> yeah. So lots of hallway conversations after the meeting, which is always a good sign. Well, and hopefully we can. You, you know, you had mentioned the um, discussion board. The discussion boards on the website, um, just as a way to kind of keep some of these conversations, and definitely for folks that weren't able to make the meeting, uh, whether you're at ASAP and just couldn't make the section meeting or weren't able to travel to ASAP, it's a way to keep some of these discussion elements going uh, between that and the kind of email listserv, the ASAP Ops group, it's a really good way that, you know, if you have questions or concerns or, or specifically for some of these things like self-administered meds uh, or uh, the Notice Act, you know, if anybody listening has experience with this or has already has stuff in place to deal with some of these things, you know, definitely shoot a message out there and, and let us know about it. You can also put comments on the website through iTunes, right? Right. So thanks for uh, spending some time with us, guys. Uh, thanks, Dr. Ball. And uh, like we usually end the show, uh, if you do not have OBS, you have a problem. So we'll see you guys next time. And uh, what's the next conference? SAM? SAM in New Orleans. New Orleans, New Orleans. okay. Well, we'll probably see you in New Orleans then. All right. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.